welcome to the Story of Hope podcast, where we are sharing stories of how Bible translation impacts the people groups of the world. My name is Esther. I am the lead singer of Eversmith, and I've been in partnership with Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand with my band for ages. And I'm here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Alex Winslade and I work at Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand here in the Auckland offices and today we are joined by some of our Wycliffe members, Nick and Lydia Height. So, um, so I'm, I'm Nick Height and um, I've been a member of Wycliffe since something like late 2020 uh, and I'm married to Lydia and we've been raising support since about that time. Oh, cool. Yeah. So before we jump into the icebreaker questions, I'd just like to quickly pray over our time in the podcast today. Um, so yeah, let's pray. Um, dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity. We all have to come together um, wherever we are all over the world um, and just chat about what we're passionate about and what you've put on our hearts. Um, I just pray that you would be with us all in this time, that you would speak through us, you would lead us in what to say, what not to say, and that um, uh, this would impact people all over the world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right, so <laughs> for the icebreaker questions, um, there's sort of this viral question that's been going around for ages, and I wanted to get your take on, do you think there are more doors or wheels in the world? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, okay. I have been thinking about this a little bit, and um, <laughs> if I'm honest, can I be honest? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, who cares? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but if I had to pick, I would say doors, just because they're easier to see, and I see more doors. Mm. 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 Yeah. yeah. We were chatting the other day about like what counts as a door and what counts as a wheel. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, does it does a door have to be something with hinges that you can open, or is it like like anything that you can go through? Like, would an archway count as a door? Maybe not. Um, mm. Yeah, we well, need some yeah. definition. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe wheel. Did you say doors? I said doors. Yeah, I'll go with wheels then. Mm. I appreciate that you've gone against your wife. Wheels <laughs> in like, um, uh, like any kind of, like lots of mechanisms, like lots of uh, on factory lines and stuff. There's lots and lots of wheels for making the machines work and all that. Mm. That's true. Doors. Yeah. I don't know. There's I saw something. Oh, <laughs> there's also like so many doors in one house and then there's doors to wardrobes and there's doors to your um you know so many so many places so i don't know it's it is quite a conundrum <laughs> i wonder if anyone's actually you know taken the trouble to do an average of what is like potential okay so there's this many things in the world that have wheels yeah. That would I'm be sure someone's done a bit of an analysis, but yeah, they're bound to have missed something, right? Because there are mm. surely there are doors and wheels in the most inconspicuous places that you wouldn't have mm. thought of. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's something we'll never know the answer to. But I, I saw something on the internet and it was a picture of like the tomb that you know kind of Jesus like rose from and like the stone that was rolled away and it was like, does this count as a door or a wheel? <laughs> That's true. I wonder, um, I think the real question really is if there's the most windows, because you also have the reality of like the eyes of the window into the soul. Right. And then like, you know, so many elements like that. But there's, 
usually more windows in a house than doors. So, well, I was wondering if we're going with metaphorical um, uh, things, then probably there'd be more doors, right? Because we talk about doors in a metaphorical sense all the time. Like yeah, the, door to the door to that, and we have this idea of like go passing through something to get to something else in our life, like as a door. Yeah. Um, wow, we just took that question to a deeper level. <laughs> but w- but when you too. that's true. How many angels are there? Well, uh, <laughs> how many, so like the I forget where it is in the Bible, like Daniel. I don't know, um, or Ezekiel or something. Anyway, um, the, the angels have like four wheels, right? It's like four faces and four wheels, and they just kind of man those angel creatures though, full of eyes. Full yeah. of eyes yeah. is I just really want to know what that means. Like <laughs> are they like are they internal eyes and external eyes or are they who knows? Those creatures, yeah, yeah. they they get me every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They sound creepy, but probably yeah. they'll be amazing and wonderful to behold. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, our second icebreaker question for you guys is what is one life hack that you've discovered recently? I'm not sure if I've discovered a life <laughs> hack recently. Um, we've been learning Spanish to prepare for our assignment in Peru and it's not really a life hack, but I've been, um, I've been interested in looking into different methods for language learning and, um, mm-hmm. I've sort of settled on something that I'm really happy with for my Spanish learning, which is like a really, a, like a mass immersion approach, just watching as much content in Spanish as possible. I don't know if that's a life hack, but um, uh, it's something that's working for me in my language learning at the moment. Yeah. And just helping me to get lots of exposure to the language, even before I'm super familiar with the, you know, intermediate or advanced grammar concepts and all of that. Um, so, yeah. Mm. What about you? Yeah. So, um, mine's a bit more simple. Like it's this thing that's been going around on the internet for a while and I decided to try it. So it's like getting the avocado pit out of the avocado. So like typically what I would do is like, let's say this is an avocado. I would just like hack it, hack the seed with a knife to get it out. But sometimes it'll chip the seed or it will like slide and like cut my finger off or something. Um, (laughs) and I'm kidding. (laughs) But so what you're supposed to do, or uh, another solution, I guess, is to grip the avocado with your thumbs behind the seed and it facing away from you and just push and it pops out. Oh. Yeah, just like turn yeah. the avocado inside out. Well, you don't turn it inside out. You just kind of push on the seed and it pops out. And yeah. Wow. I've, I've done it lots of times. Wow. Try that. For all of our New Zealand viewers, it was actually quite affronting to me to learn that Americans say avocado, avocado. I was like, oh, really? no way. <laughs> That's like impossible because every other time it's the other way around. Like you guys say dance and yeah. <laughs> all of that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. I was just. No, but you think though, like they, they say pajamas and they say data. That's true. Yeah. I say data. <laughs> well, not data is what I mean. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I I used to work at like a salad shop and I had an American co-worker and even though New Zealanders we say avocado and we shorten it we say avo but she would call them avos and it was just yeah the yeah. same thing oh, yeah. Which like, is like the same word yeah. it's like yeah. the same word for afternoon so that's confusing avo. Mm. like oh I see uh, yeah avo avo there is a distinct difference 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love to try and point out those distinct differences to me that I know are not distinct to anyone else. I'm like, <laughs> okay, maybe that's not the case. Um, I actually learned a, a life hack recently that I'm really excited about. Um, so uh, it's it's going around the online as well. But if you have to wash your shoes, like your tennis shoes, you can tie the laces together and put the uh, hang the laces by the tied bit in the dryer door and close the door and then it doesn't like bang around in the dryer it just has the uh-huh. centrifugal force going around yeah. in the dryer and it dries your shoes wow wow yeah so yeah. life hack if you don't want a bangy bangy dryer nice <laughs> i had a, a life hack uh, backfire on me because I again saw something on the internet. You know those gift bags with the little handles, um, and usually you like tape it. Um, but they were like, no, you can take the the end of the string on one side and feed it through the other side on both sides, and then it like pulls it together very neatly. And I did that, um, and it looked so nice. But then it got time for the person to open it, and they couldn't undo. It. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's actually not a life hack, <laughs> but. But at least it looked great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the main thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's not. I don't know. Um, awesome. Well, we've come to our time of the main questions. Sometimes I feel like the icebreaker questions should also be considered main questions because they give me <laughs> such an, a window into people's souls. No. Um, <laughs> or a door. Uh, but our first question is, could you tell us a story of how you each first became interested in Bible translation and then how you ended up pursuing it together? Yeah. Um, so my story, actually, like God has been, I think, intertwining Bible translation and missions throughout my life for a really long time, which is really cool looking back. Um, but uh, my story starts when I was five years old and I was really upset one day because I didn't know what I was going to be when I was older. So I went up to my mom and I was like, mom, like, what am I going to do? All my friends know what they're going to be when they're older. And like, I got to find out. <laughs> um and my mom told me to go sit by myself and ask God what he wants me to be. So um, I did that and I asked him and um, I felt him call me to be a missionary. And I don't know, like, it was so long ago. I'm 27 now. Um, and I don't know, I don't remember how I heard it, but I did. And um, so from there on out, it's just been a theme in my life. I decided to study Spanish because I wanted to be, wanted to go do missions in the Spanish speaking world. Um, and yeah, I mean, just to, to sum mm. it up, I guess, like here I am, like um, I definitely had my times of doubt big time. Like um, I thought maybe when God called me to be a missionary that he just meant like that he wanted me to give my life to him and that's easy. Um, I think it's a bit harder to commit to missions. So um, eventually, um, Bible translation landed in my lap, and I said yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was a like it was sort of an up, maybe an up and down kind of process for you as you worked out what was what was the significance of God's call for you to be a missionary, and what was He actually calling you to? Like, what would missions look like for you? Would it mean 
talking to someone in your workplace and in the states or would it mean cross-cultural missions or or yeah. what um so i mean after lydia did her bachelor's degree in spanish the opportunity opened up for her to do a master's degree and she still had this in the back of her mind so she went on to doing um linguistics at, at um, the canada institute institute of linguistics um in preparation for doing Bible translation. And that's where we met. So our stories kind of um, collide there. Yeah. To backtrack for me, I had been interested in language for quite some time. I did my undergraduate degree here in New Zealand um, at the University of Canterbury in linguistics. And um, I took a phonology class in my second year and I was exposed to different language data from languages around the world. It's just fascinated by the different patterns that we could see in language data. Wow, some sounds work like this in some languages and they work like that in other languages. I liked the puzzle of it all and I wanted to see if there was a way that I could use that um, going forward in my in my life um, as a career. And so I had this idea of Bible translation in the back of my mind. Like, I know that Bible translators work with this kind of stuff. Maybe I could do that. So when I was thinking about further study, I decided I would go to an SIL training school that would leave my option open to Bible translation. Um, so that was the Canada Institute of Linguistics where we both started in 2018 and uh, didn't take very long for us after we got there to fall in love with this vision of Bible translation that everybody at the school had and also to fall in love with each other. <laughs> um, so so um, our story of uh, how we've been led to a Bible translation, how we've been led to each other is sort of the same story. Uh, and then over the course of our master's degree in Canada, we both warmed up to what it would mean for us to do Bible translation cross-culturally um, because we wanted to do linguistics, we wanted to do missions, but we weren't really sure what it would look like for us and how committed we really were and whether we were up for the challenge and all that kind of stuff. So we've been able to talk all of that through together and grow together in our um in our pursuit of missions so that's been really uh, really kind of cool for us as a couple yeah that's so cool i love the part of your story lydia um where your mum told you to go and wait on the lord well that's great parent parenting <laughs> I, I, I don't think a lot of parents would give that advice you know and uh what a what a really cool blessing to have that as part of your story um that you always remember your mum's parenting uh, <laughs> and I'm sure that that probably informs how you talk to other people when they come to you with issues and how you will also treat your children as well like bringing them back to the Lord it's that's really really cool and then I just I love how God brought you guys together that's really cool yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super, super it's cool. so interesting. I feel like um, your story is very similar to mine and how just kind of studying linguistics and then it's always like in the back of your mind, like maybe I could do Bible translation. And I think it's so cool when that's kind of your story because you can always look back later and see how God was actually putting things together. And at the time you didn't really know, but you were just kind of like going along and realizing that God's hand was in it the whole time. And I feel like we'll touch on that a little bit later in the podcast. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's really cool. It is. Um, so you meant, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, it is funny how vague God can be, though, when, when he first tells you something, because I first heard from God about what to do with my life when I was five, but it was like, Esther, I want you to go around the world and bless people. 
Um, <laughs> and I knew that had something to do with singing, but like I, I have it. I never had like a real specific. And um, whenever people would be like, "Oh, I just knew I had to be a pastor," or "I just knew I had to do blah blah blah," I was like, "Well, I don't know what I needed to do except sing and bless people." Um, <laughs> and then the like the specifics of that have looked so different at different phases of my life. But it's really cool to see how God works it all together. Um, yep. So anyway, sorry, Alex. No, no, you're good. Um, yeah, so you guys mentioned you've been raising support for the last, uh, I don't know, two years, is it? Or Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah at, different, at different speeds. So we started right. off slow and then we kind of picked up the pace in the last several months. Yeah. Right, right. So I guess throughout that time, speaking to people about, um, you know, the mission that God's put on your heart, are there, has there been some, like, misconceptions you've come across about missions of Bible translation in your conversations with others? One misconception that I see um, is that people think of Bible translation or tend to think of Bible translation as just one thing, and that is you translate the Bible, which mm-hmm. kind of makes sense, right? That's what it seems like it is. Yeah. But what I <clears throat> tell people is that Bible translation really uh, is a huge process that starts with language survey, mm-hmm. which is when you send in um, linguists and, and um um, anthropologists to see if a community needs or wants a Bible translation. That's where it starts. And it ends with the continual building up and discipling of people in the church of God. Right. So that's, that's to me, that's Bible translation and Bible translation proper. The thing that we think of, uh, which is actually doing the exegesis and translating the scriptures and stuff is a tiny bit in the middle. Um, but you have to do all of this stuff first. You have to do the, uh, the survey, you have to do the linguistic groundwork, um, you have to do literacy and education so that people can read and understand scripture and the yeah. language. Then after the Bible translation itself, you have to produce um, other materials about scripture and the language so that people think about how, how much we benefit from podcasts and commentaries yeah. and sermons and things like that, that in our own language that uh, other people don't have access to. Uh, you want to do ethnomusicology to to develop songs and hymns and so it's this big thing um that you don't just sort of do it once for 10 or 15 years and then say see you later yeah yeah Bible translation is about building a church yeah. yeah and we also have to um win the locals over as well yeah. um yeah. and develop relationship and and you know care for and and pastor those people even if you're not necessarily the pastor i mean i'm, I'm sure it involves a lot of really having to be in prayer and care for a flock <laughs> yeah and, and one thing that um, the Bible translation movement is moving towards and focusing on a lot more these days than it used to is localization. Yeah. And that is giving communities ownership over their translation projects yeah. and yeah. language development projects um, so that they're sustainable. So yeah. um, people have, yeah, yeah, so people have their own sense of ownership over the project. It's not just the, the foreigners or the expats uh, project, it's theirs. Yeah, um, they continue on with it and uh, and continue building on the work that maybe expats start mm-hmm. over time. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. I even had <clears throat> a similar realization just on my drive home the other day. I was like listening to worship music, and I realized like 
yeah, there's so much more than just the Bible that we have or that we can engage with God through. And yeah, if someone has a Bible in their language, but then they want to be able to worship God in their language, like there's so much more that has to be developed as well. So yeah, definitely a really important part of the big picture. Yeah. And the way that I understand scripture comes so much from things that I've read about scripture as well as from scripture itself. And so I just imagine if I didn't have access to any of those resources, commentaries, sermons, things like that, and didn't have access to scripture itself, I'd yeah. just be so impoverished spiritually. Yeah. It'd be so difficult to know um, some of the things that I know about God. Mm. Yeah. What have you found to be misconceptions as we've been raising support? Um, yeah, I actually think this one is important. It's, it's not spiritual, but it's important. I think sometimes people tend to think that missionaries um, need to kind of live on just enough money to get by um, and just kind of struggle, you know. Um, and I, I feel strongly that that is just not God's heart, really, um, because... Well, he wants us to thrive, but also he is like, he's wealthy <laughs> and, um, and he can provide for like whatever we need. So, and I guess more practically, our sending organizations, they set a budget for us. Mm -hmm. And so they make sure that we can get by. Um, but also, um, I think there's a balance between stewarding um, people's donations well and, um, and like, I guess, not surviving yeah. um we're definitely called to to serve that's that's um that's what we're called to do but we're not called to be paupers yeah and, and, and so like mm. if we need to buy good quality shoes like i think we should do that and mm. if we want to go buy a gym membership so that we can stay healthy like i think we should do that you know mm -hmm. um yeah. yeah i really love that actually um yeah it's often and it's not just missionaries as well. There's so many people with the misconception that their pastor should be poorer than them. Um, mm. <laughs> and, you know, I don't necessarily ascribe to um, people having an unnecessarily lavish lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because, you know, you want to be, like you say, you want to be a good steward of what you have. And um, a lot of times those excesses just end up being idolatry but um but yeah it's it's really really cool to think of um <coughs> I guess like we're actually partnering with people when we yeah. partner with mission work and we don't want them to be these robots that go out and do the work that we're too scared to do we want them to be human beings that like you say thrive um and i and i i love some of how paul's paul approaches the ministry because you know he says i know what it is to abase and to be abased and i know what it is to abound um and he but and he did so much work like he never he never charged people to present the gospel or to be an apostle to them or anything like that he always worked so hard to make his own way but he also was like but a workman is worthy of his wages so like yeah. these other apostles who don't do it like i do they're just as valid let's mm -hmm. honor people for how they're how they're looking to do it and so i think it's great that you make it known lydia like hey i want a gym membership oh my gosh mm -hmm. <laughs> i remember <laughs> i remember a couple of years ago uh there's this gym that i love it's called burn boot camp and um and i love it so much and but at that time i couldn't afford 
the the price of it. And I remember my my family and friends were praying over me one day and they were like, man, Esther, like what, what is your heart for your finances? And I was like, oh my gosh, I just want to be able to afford burn boot camp. Like, <laughs> so sometimes like that can be kind of the big difference, like having yeah. something like that. Um, and then you're able to thrive even if you, you don't have so many other things as well. So I, I love that yeah. you raised that. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Sweet. Well, um, what questions did you have along your journey to become Bible translations, uh, translators, sorry, and what did you find helpful in resolving them? I think for me, probably for both of us, actually, one of the major questions that we had was around raising support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very cross, not cross-cultural, it's very counter-cultural to ask for money yeah. uh, in the West. And we were concerned to begin with whether or not it was the right thing to be doing to ask people to support us to go out and do this work. Uh, and so we had to develop basically a theology of fundraising and when we did that, it was really, really helpful. So um, we've come to the understanding that in, in raising support, what you're doing is you're asking people to pull resources with you. And so the resources that we have is the time, the energy, the expertise in, in linguistics and translation, um, the vision as well. Um, some people aren't familiar with or don't know about Bible translation needs. Mm-hmm. And other people have prayer as a resource that they can give and they have finances as a resource that we can give uh, they can give so what we do is we come to people and we say hey here's here's a vision of a world in which people can access the bible in the language that's most meaningful to them um we've got time we've got energy we've got expertise you've got prayer you've got money let's put them together and let's do something great for the kingdom of god and so um when we think about it more like that, it becomes like this team activity. And we are, we happen to be the people that are going to go and be on the ground, but we're not the most important people in the system. Uh, we're just, we're just sort of the, maybe the hands and feet yeah. doing some of the on, on the ground work, but everyone has a role to play in the body. And um, I think that's, shifting our perspective and thinking about it that way has been quite helpful. Mm, I think the two biggest fears, I I think maybe I could say, I could generalize here. The two biggest fears with fundraising are um, dependence on other people and fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you look at it the way that Nick is looking at it, um, if you, you're not getting personally rejected if someone says no, because, um, I just like to view it as like, well, God hasn't called this person to be part of our team. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. Um, and actually for the people that have said no to us, I've like, we felt totally okay yeah. with it. I think what's worse is what, when people ignore you. Yeah. We felt very respected <laughs> by people's transparency when they say, no, we can't support you. Yeah. Right now we can't support you either. Um, it's, it's all good with us. And we never we've never faulted when people say that you just think, Oh, well, God will provide the money from somewhere else. That's totally fine. Um, and God has called lots of people to give. And it's really exciting to see the way that he's blessing us through their gifts. And in lots of cases, he's blessing them through their giving as well, which seems kind of funny, but um, people tend to be really excited to be able to be part of missions work. Um, 
And, you know, that's how we should think about it. People who are supporting financially are part of Mission's work. They are doing a really important role. They're financing and making possible the work that happens on the ground. Yeah. Um, and people love to be part of that. They love to be part of that. You know, they, they work their nine to five in accounting or in um, high school teaching or whatever it is where they have their own personal ministry, mm-hmm. but they can reach out to other parts of the world from right where they are, you know, by supporting missions financially. So mm-hmm. um, people tend to be quite excited about it. We yeah. Found. Yeah. yeah. And I think also, um, like we are just so blessed in the process. Um, I think it affirms a few things for me. It affirms that like God cares for us personally. God cares for the Napo Quechua personally, the people we're going to serve. Um, God is like through people giving to us, he's affirming our calling. And we're just like, we just feel so loved by the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's a really amazing experience. And I didn't want to do it, but I'm so glad I did. Support raising. Yeah. 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 That's a really cool way to view it. And I think we have a term for support raising. We often call it partnership development because that's what you're doing as you're developing partners to be with you in your mission. Um, Like every role is important in the mission. You can't do it without them and they can play their part by doing what they do. I I was reminded recently of a story in the Bible and I might mix up who it actually was, but I think it was in the Old Testament. I think it was Moses. on the hill holding up his staff well I think was it Joshua in the fight or something like that um and it's like he while he had his staff raised they were winning and then when he was like dropping it they were losing yeah and so it sort of just shows that he was sort of um fighting in the spiritual realm and well like Joshua or, or whoever it was was out there in the field and it just shows that it's all part of the same uh like it's all important yeah. um yeah there's actually so many times in scripture where the people fund the work of God. You know, they would ask all of the Israelites, hey, we're going to build a house of God. Give in to it what you want to. And then they would lavish upon the project money. And then, and that's all through the Old Testament. And then um, 2 Corinthians, Paul, it's basically the entire time. And I think it's maybe chapter nine or something. Paul's like reminding them that they pledged to give. And he's like, yeah, don't, don't do that thing where you say you'll do it and then you don't do it. Like, mm-hmm. make sure that the the fullness of this thing happens. So it's like, I think in our society, to ask is a little bit uncouth, but then to like remind that you had pledged is even more uncouth. And Paul's just like yeah. <laughs> fully in there being like, hey guys, remember you said you'd give this thing. Um, so <laughs> I think it's also really cool when you know that there's like, a biblical framework and affirmation that like hey actually no um not just a workman is worthy of his hire but the the body of christ we're meant to collectively make the work of the ministry happen and so even if we're not doing it physically ourselves giving into it is such a great way of ensuring that we i think it's a part of working out our salvation actually to mm-hmm. give to give um so anyway love that that's the bomb yeah 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 so you mentioned briefly that the people group you're going to is the napo quechua is that correct mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. yeah. That's right. so could you tell us what made you decide um to go there yeah so um the story kind of starts with me because like i said earlier i after god called me to be a missionary i started 
like really getting into Spanish. So um, I studied it in high school and then I studied it in university as well. I got a bachelor's degree in it. Um, and so when I was looking for a place to go, like it's more practical. I was just like, well, you know, where do they speak Spanish? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I found out that Peru actually had like the greatest need in the Spanish speaking world. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's why we chose Peru. Yeah, so it was toward the end of our studies when um, Lydia joined Wycliffe and she was, she joined a bit before me and um, and we weren't yet engaged at the time. So uh, I said to her, look, I mean, you just pick where you want to go. It's not really a decision you can make together when you're not engaged yet. So, so you pick where you want to go, where you feel like God's calling you. And then when we get married, if we get married, when we get married, whatever, um, we'll, we'll go together, right? So I sort of left the ball in her court there and um, she felt she felt called to Peru, um, just saw it as a place where you could use your skills. There was a good opportunity for you and there was good need there yeah. um, that, you could, that you could work toward. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, and so when we got married, we um, sort of doubled down and decided Peru was the place that we were going to go. And they gave us a couple of options of projects in Peru. And the one with the Napa just seemed like the one that would suit us best. And we felt like God was leading us there. Yeah. It's probably important to note, because um, one of the biggest misconceptions that I have found with people is that a lot of people will be like, well, why don't they just read the Bible in English or Spanish, which are obviously wide ranging or by already have the Bible. And as you say, these people speak Spanish. That's why you're learning Spanish, right? But mm-hmm. like... Um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding as to why a Bible translation would be needed for specific people's groups, um, heart language. Uh, do you guys want to speak a little bit into that? Yeah. Well, many of the Napa Quechua don't speak Spanish, in fact. Well, that's um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, some of them do, um, but many of them don't. And even for the ones who do, what they've found is that when they read a story, uh, say from the New Testament that's been published in Napa Quechua in their own language for the first time, their eyes sort of widen. They say, oh, now I get it. Now I understand it. Yeah. When I read this in Spanish, I didn't really understand that this was what it was saying, but now it makes sense. Um, so what happens when we read a story or a passage or whatever in our mother tongue, what we sometimes call the heart language, the the language that's most meaningful to us yeah. is that um, we just identify much closer with what's being said and we understand much more deeply. Yeah. And if you think about the way that, that native language works, you grow up with it and all of your life experiences, or let's say most of your life, life experiences if you're monolingual, are in this language. And so your relationships with parents and family and this your education everything happens in this language and so when you draw on your understanding of a word or something you're not just drawing on a dictionary definition mm-hmm. in the back of your mind you have little neurons firing that bring up all of these memories and um, they help to color meanings in a really really nuanced way so what happens when you read something in your native language is that you just understand it on this whole other level. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'll let Lydia talk to this in a second, but um, 
the whole point of scripture is that it's meant to be transformational, yeah. not just inf- informational. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. we want to be, we want our, our minds to be renewed by the gospel of Christ. Right. And yes. so we, when we read scripture, it's not just like, oh, that was a cool story, which is perhaps what you would think or feel if you read it in a non-native language. Yeah. We want it to speak deeply to the heart. And so the best way we think to have that happen in people's lives is for them to read it in the language that's most meaningful to them, mm-hmm. which for the Napo is not Quechua. Yeah. And so in um, my classes, I took a class called Principles of Translation. We um, learned something called meaning-based translation. And so what that means is that you you want to get as close as you can to word for word, but that's not the point. The point is that you want people to understand. And so like Nico was saying, you translate um, with, you want to translate with having all that background knowledge in mind, all of those memories and cultural connotations and things. Yeah. Um, because we really want people to understand scripture. Mm. Yeah. You just think about how rich the context is when you speak your native language or when you read in your native language. It's, yeah. uh, there's a lot going on. Whereas when you read in a foreign language, the words, they link to something. They link to a little bit, but they don't link to too much if you haven't had a lot of experiences in that language. Yeah. yeah. You're always going to have just a ton more experiences. Yeah. And therefore, there's going to be a ton more meaning in your native language. So yeah, that's, that's part of why it's really important. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually have a, a really good friend who her husband is from um, Guatemala and he so he predominantly has had the gospel presented to him in Spanish and um, ha- he mostly does read a Spanish um, translation. But when he was presented with his specific people group's language, he was like, the scripture came alive to me. It means so much to me that someone cared enough to do this for my people and valued our language enough to do that. And then he was like, but it means so much more to me when I read it in my language. And and so that... um, that kind of question is always close to my heart that people understand like the difference between well yeah it might be easy to do like well everyone can just speak these languages especially if they kind of already know it but easy is not actually necessarily always the best um and especially you as you say when it comes to transformation and i I think (coughs) excuse me i think i mentioned it before on this podcast but um, there's an amazing story where Paul is speaking to the people in the crowd and everyone at that time spoke Greek and then it says he spoke to them in Hebrew and they listened even closer and mm. it's just it's just so real um, so I love that that's awesome it's a great point as well that you raised a minute ago about how people feel valued when someone or um, you know a group, prioritizes their language community yeah. and and works with them to produce a translation in their language. Yeah. You know, they, they feel like their identity is being valued and God cares for them and their group and they don't have to be dominated by the national culture or whatever. Their culture is important. And yeah. um, that's like, that's what the gospel is about, right? Like um, Paul talks about sort of being all things to all people and, um, we want the gospel to be contextualized for each place and each group where it finds itself. And so 
Um, it's really, that's a really good point that you made about um, just people feeling so much more valued and feeling like God cares for them personally. Yeah. When the gospel is brought into their culture and contextualized in their culture and language. Yeah. And it's crazy because if you think about it, like the French are notorious for being rude to people if you show up not knowing any French, like because they're like, why would you come here without try at least trying? And then they're, you know, they can be much more friendly when you've at least made an effort, even if you're doing it badly. And I think when we understand that mindset of how much it means to people that we actually took the time to care for who they actually are, it's it's so powerful. It's so cool. One of the biggest learning curves for me was um, there's obviously a lot of differences well maybe not obvious to some people I don't know but there's a lot of differences between um, lifestyle and communication and all sorts of things in New Zealand to the US even though we speak the same language and when I came I was like man these things are so annoying why do they do them these ways and then I realized like ah actually I'm the minority and it's not my job to fix these people this is their culture and it's just as valuable as mine and yeah it might annoy the heck out of me but <laughs> but um, it doesn't make it invalid and it doesn't make people evil and it doesn't make it something that I necessarily have to look to change I need to learn how to work with these people the way that they work because I'm in their land now and uh, it was such a huge growing point for me because because it was just like oh yeah my perspective is so me focused and and where I come from but then on the flip side like every time I go back to New Zealand if something happens even though I'm not personally I don't have any Maori blood or anything like that because it was such a huge part of my life growing up around the Maori culture and I was in kapahaka in school and um, every (laughs) every um, assembly at school they would and um they would call all of the school to assembly by playing cook island drums and um and i'd so i just like grew up with all these different elements of culture and then i go back to new zealand and it's just there and Mm -hmm. being just being adjacent to it i'm suddenly like oh home and and so even though i'm in an environment that feels like home to me here in the u.s there's something extra special about that full experience so yeah 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 it's pretty amazing um well (laughs) sorry I kind of like took that on a little detour but (laughs) but that was a great answer I really appreciate it um yeah looking back have you seen ways God was preparing you for what you're doing now that you didn't see at the time you've kind of already touched on this so (laughs) but I there's something else to add I think that you know besides like the Spanish and God calling me to be a missionary um I don't know I think that um God has also put a desire in me to um just like bless people through relationship and I think that is um really what's like at the foundation of being a missionary is, um, you know, having relationship with people and, um, and and blessing them. I mean, of course there's more (laughs) to it, but I, I think that's, um, I think that's the attitude that you should have when you approach missions. Um, but yeah, I've seen that in like that desire come up when, um, like in different jobs I've done, like, for example, I started working at a writing center 
And the format is I would sit down one on one with the student and help them with their essays. And it was so funny because I have never loved a job more than that uh, one. And it's just like kind of out of my field. But I just loved so much sitting down with a stressed student and um, I don't know, just forming a relationship with them and maybe hopefully changing something. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same job as Lydia for a little while. And um, that was, that was a really exciting experience being able to um, speak some calm into someone's situation with a, you know, I had an assignment due the next day and they were really stressed about it. And um, it, like my most, and Lydia would agree with this from her perspective too. My most, um, well, I think you would, anyway, my most meaningful um, sessions with students was when uh was like not when we really improved the essay whole bunch, but when we could talk about something about their life or talk about um, the way that they were feeling about their academics. Like, I feel like I'm not a good writer or I feel like um, I'm always getting bad grades. And we could just talk a, a bit about that and we could help them a bit with their essays and stuff, but with a an angle toward um, actually helping them sort of long-term succeed in terms of their feelings about their writing or their feelings about their academics yeah like, so, did you feel the same way mm-hmm, yeah. definitely and i think looking forward to going to peru what i'm most excited for <laughs> is um just like forming relationships with these mm-hmm. people like yeah. sitting down one-on-one and hearing their stories and um and beyond that just like introducing the gospel to them like and just watching it transform their lives like that is what i'm in for <laughs> just, just having a regular christian witness that god calls us each to have yeah. um yeah so i think that god has led us through experiences of just of just regular christian life you know of trials and difficulties and highs and yeah. lows and everything um that have all gone into the mix that's going to help us to have that really solid Christian witness to the people that we're serving. Um, and you don't always realize at the time how this or that is going to prepare you for an experience like cross-cultural missions. But I think those experiences, like experiences working with students at a writing center or in other interpersonal relationships, um, they're all gonna they're all gonna help. They're gonna be part of it. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah, cool. and like we already said earlier in the podcast, like the relationships part of it is so important in Bible translation because you're not just creating a text and giving it to people because it's not going to change their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's also really important for people to understand that that is a heart behind being a missionary because I think a lot of people think of missionaries in like that kind of really awful um worldly way of like oh you know they're the weirdos and they they're like they're socially awkward people and you know what I mean and I'm like no these are these are human beings who went because they loved God and they loved people mm-hmm. and had a, such a heart to see actual transformation happen and so yeah they might be like some some 
people that I have met who are really into the gospel and presenting the gospel, some evangelists that I've met, they're like really weird to be around because they're just yeah. like, they're so intense about that one yeah. thing. So yeah, we, we as humans can all be like that. But I've met people who people would describe as like a normal person and they'll sit and talk to you for like three hours about Iron Man. I mean, like that's obsessive. Missionaries are strange, probably... Um, haven't thought about it that exactly much. or me yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah totally no, I think we just and missionaries in general have a, a heart to serve and from a very non-spiritual perspective um, I just looked at the need in the world for Bible translation and I looked at my interests in language and I was like they go together yeah you know it's like it was almost as if I was just picking the kind of job that I wanted to go into in the marketplace. You know, yeah. I saw a need, I saw my skills and I thought I can, I can do something here. And it was a no brainer for me to put them together, especially given the centrality of my faith in my life. Yeah. Um, well, that makes me weird. That's, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so true though. That's such an important, I think, realization for people who are trying to figure out what's God calling me to. If there's anyone listening that, you know, your skill set's not in Bible translation. There's so many ways that we are called to love people and whatever skills that you've been given, like God can use you in that. And it's just, yeah, some, in some ways it's pretty logical. Yeah. I think it was Augustine who said, love God and do whatever you please. Um, if, you're, if you are um, guided by the spirit, I was going to say controlled by the spirit, which I think is the language of the New Testament, then um then whatever you do is going to be pleasing to God, right? So just make sure that you are controlled by the spirit and submit to Christ's lordship of your life and then go out and pursue the things that you're interested in and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, work on the needs that you see in the world and God's going to use you through those things. Yeah, totally. It makes me think of like when I was a server. So I was a server mm-hmm. for a year after I graduated and I... After your undergraduate degree. Uh, yeah, after my undergraduate degree. And so what I thought was, well, this isn't really my ideal job, but it's what I have right now. So I'm going to be the best server I can in the name of Jesus. I'm going to like arrange the plates really nicely. And I'm going to like tell people like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Like, you know, look, look at the quality of my work. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Just treat me with kindness and respect and politeness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I already mentioned driving for Lyft and Uber, um, or maybe we were talking about that earlier, I can't remember, but um, certainly, like, just hearing people's stories when they get into your car, and then um, the capacity that you have to, you know, make someone feel better about themselves before they get out of the car and the amount of people that I've had who just tell me literally everything about their life and I'm like oh wow this is one of those counseling session rides like I'm literally your counselor right now um and then um I think I've expressed this on a previous podcast but since 2020 I I drove before um before the whole COVID situation and actually at the end of 2019 I was hit by a semi truck on the freeway and so I had um, going into the whole pandemic situation I was just recovering from head trauma and PTSD and all of these sorts of things and so I took quite a bit of time off driving um, and obviously things weren't open so there wasn't really lift and Uber during the pandemic as much 
and um, I started driving <laughs> driving again last year and ever since I I started driving again I have asked every passenger if they if there's anything that I can pray for and I mm. still to this day I've been driving over a year I still haven't any, had anyone say no that's amazing yeah and it's just yeah. it's just easy as that right like yeah you yeah. can just have a ministry and wherever you go yeah yeah, totally. yeah. yeah that's awesome that's so cool yeah people are hungry people are hurt and we've gone collectively through such an insane experience and people don't know how to process it and they don't that and it's, I've, I've found so many people are so excited just to speak to another human again um yes. still and I'm like in in Nashville at least it's been pretty um open for quite a long time now but like people are still you know having these experiences of oh this is my first time going to a concert again or this is my mm-hmm. first time doing and you know we get to be a part of it we get to um, walk with people and, and celebrate them and help them to feel valued and stuff. So I love I love all of that, guys. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, so you guys are preparing to go in a few months, right? So you're still support raising, but almost there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're closing in on 100% of our support raise. Cool. Um, so we're, we're a couple of percent out. Um, yeah. yeah. So we're, well, we're preparing we... to go in November. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah. What are some ways that people can be um, supporting you right now? Yeah. So there are really two things. Um, the first one is that obvious one that I just mentioned with the support. Um, we still need to raise a, a tiny bit of support. Um, and so people could support us financially. Um, the other thing that we're really wanting to build up at this stage is we transition away from raising financial support is building a prayer network. Um, and so people who are committed and who are invested and who really want to pray for us daily or weekly or, or monthly on some regular time frame, um, God's work doesn't get done without prayer. And so we yeah. really want people to um, be supporting us prayerfully and, um, and just asking God for his guidance over the whole project and over our travels and everything like that um that's that's going to be really important mm-hmm. um especially given that missions can be um cross-cultural missions can be uh, like a high stress kind of environment um for people to work in and so we haven't done this kind of thing before we've both spent a bit of time cross-culturally but um we've never done long-term missions and um, a lot of things are going to be new to us. So we really need people praying for God to give us a big portion of grace and patience and wisdom uh, for us to just work out how to how to thrive in a new context. Yeah. And people can um, find all that information on how to give and how to pray on our website. Um, and the website is towardtranslation.com. Yeah. So www.towardtranslation.com. Um people can find um yeah just a, a couple of pieces of information about the Napa Quechua and about us and about how to give and how to pray cool we'll, we'll grab that from you and try and put it in the description awesome. the yeah. Yeah. absolutely awesome well we have a practice here at the story of hope podcast of praying for five different people groups every time we get together um sorry not people groups nations and so our nation's 
this week are Vietnam, Western Sahara, Yemen, Zambia, and Zimbabwe. And so we're going to have Nick and, and or Lydia um, pray over these nations for us. So let's do that. Great. Yeah, I'll, I'll pray. Um, so, Lord, we, we lift up the nations to you, and we thank you that you have called us to go into the world and to spread the gospel far and wide. Um, thank you for, in some way, thank you for the opportunity that um, we have to be instruments of your mission in the world. Thank you that you use us as um, as your hands and feet to go out and share your good news with people. Um, we want to pray for um, folks in Vietnam, in Western Sahara, in Yemen, in Zambia and Zimbabwe, um, who are facing really difficult circumstances. And we ask that um, where there are humanitarian crises, you would alleviate the suffering of people in those countries. And um, where there is spiritual deadness, spiritual death, um, we ask that you would commission people to go out into those places and to share the gospel and to build the church. Um, so we think of um, particularly um, war in, um, and, and that kind of strife in um, some of these countries, I think particularly um, Western Sahara and Yemen and, and, mm. um, and these places, Lord, just we ask that your providence would reach deeply into those circumstances and you would... Um, bring about peace in those regions um, where there's poverty um, we ask that you would bring um, you would bring wealth and richness um, that you would bring um, sufficiency i suppose that you would just provide for people's needs there and commission us and send us out into the world to provide for uh, people's needs and um, we also pray for uh for healing in, in places where there's disease and that kind of suffering, we ask that you uh, you would heal folks in these places. Lastly, God, I just want to pray for Christians in these regions, especially in um, places like Vietnam and Yemen, where it is uh, difficult, very difficult to openly be a Christian. I pray that you would give believers um a great measure of perseverance that they would be able to see through strongly um, the faith that you have called them to. And uh, we ask that the church would be emboldened and strengthened uh, even in really difficult circumstances, difficult situations, uh, that you would continue to build the church there and that um, our brothers and sisters in Christ in those parts of the world uh, would just really be sold out for you and excited about what you're doing and eager to, in whatever way they can, share your good gospel with the people around you. So we thank you, God, for the work you're doing in these places. We see the need that there still is for more work, and we ask um, that you would pour out your spirit and continue to do that work that you do so well. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's been so great having you guys on the podcast. I know personally I've learned a lot. Just yeah, the insight you guys have is amazing. So thank you guys so much for joining us. <laughs> uh, really, else. We really appreciate being on and it's, yeah. it's been super fun. Awesome. Mm, yeah, yeah. 
yeah and anyone else listening we um release a new episode every month so make sure to tune in next time and like comment share this episode we'll see you guys next time bye, bye. <laughs>